to a Hope 103.2 podcast. Praying on behalf of those who don't yet know Christ is just one part of the gospel prayer equation we've been looking at over the last couple of reflections. Equally important, though perhaps not as personally captivating, is prayer specifically on behalf of those who give their time to telling the gospel to others. We've already seen in Matthew 9:37-38 that we're to pray for an increased number of gospel workers. Jesus said, "Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field." Well, several other texts in the New Testament urge us to pray for the ongoing success of these workers. Ephesians 6:19, for instance. Here Paul urges believers to pray for him as one of those sent out by Christ to preach the gospel. Let me read it to you. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Some may think that those engaged in full-time gospel preaching need little ongoing prayer for words and fearlessness. As someone involved in this sort of public ministry, can I please urge you never to think that. If Paul needed these prayers, the rest of us do so even more. Paul asks the Thessalonians to do the same thing, this time with a focus on praying for the success of the gospel message itself. So we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, brothers, Pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with you. Let me quote one final passage on this same theme of prayer and the work of the gospel. It's Colossians 4, 2-4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Of all the things Paul urges his churches to pray for, prayer for the work of the gospel is the most common. More than that, of all the things the New Testament mentions as gospel-promoting activities, giving money, speaking of Jesus and so on, prayer is the most frequently urged. Now, I don't for a moment want to encourage any of us to be silent about our faith. That would be a tragedy and a sure sign of ill health as Christians. But even more tragic, I reckon, would be our silence in prayer for the work of the gospel. Why is prayer so critical for mission? The Colossians passage just quoted provides the answer. In prayer, we lift the work of the gospel above mere circumstances and into the hands of the one who governs everything. Paul strikes this theme in a wonderful piece of irony in verse 3. He says, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. An open door for the message, even though the chief messenger is locked up in chains. Only prayer could ensure such a beautifully illogical reality. Paul was confident that through the prayers of other believers, God's word would never be constrained by mere circumstances. I have two spiritual memories of my pre-Christian days. The first 
is of the lovely elderly lady who lived up the road and who babysat me and my brothers when we were kids. Her name was Elsie. I remember she gave me a sticker one day when I was about nine, and it read, Love Never Fails. I had no idea this was a quote from 1 Corinthians 13.8, but I stuck it on my bedhead, knowing it had something to do with Elsie's God. The words were strangely special to me as I gazed up at them each night over the years. The other spiritual memory I have from those early days is of the Lord's Prayer. Somehow, I knew it off by heart, and I used to recite it when I was in trouble, which wasn't too infrequently, actually. I used to say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and all that. I was perplexed, especially after becoming a Christian, as to how I actually knew that prayer Jesus taught when I'd never been to church or Sunday school. The mystery was solved about ten years later. I was back at my home suburb working as a trainee minister in the local Anglican church. This was the church Elsie, the babysitter, attended. We had talked plenty of times over the years, especially after I'd become a Christian, but I'd never thought to ask her about what she taught me as a child. It was not until I mentioned in a sermon one morning the mystery of my knowing the Lord's Prayer as a non-Christian youngster that she came up to me afterwards informing me, John, I taught you the Lord's Prayer when you were nine, don't you remember? Well, the stickers I remembered, learning the Lord's Prayer, I didn't. It turns out, Elsie, who was a widow, had been praying for my mum and her three boys ever since my dad died when I was nine. Regularly and earnestly, she had asked the Lord somehow to bring those Dixons into his kingdom. Humanly speaking, she had little reason to expect that any of us would embrace Christ. Ours was a stable and loving family, but as I've said before, it was one completely devoid of Christian conversations or Christian practices or even friends and relatives that talked about God. Elsie prayed anyway. Elsie explained to me that when I became a Christian at 15, she just said, "Okay, Lord, that's the first. Please bring them all to yourself. Two years later, my brother came to believe in Christ and is now in full-time ministry, actually. And again, Elsie just said, Okay, Lord, that's the second. (laughs) Now, I haven't seen Elsie for quite a while, but the last time I spoke with her, she assured me she was still praying for my family. Elsie's prayers, I believe, were just as responsible for my Christian faith as my scripture teacher's evangelistic hamburger events. In fact, it's probably fair to say that my scripture teacher herself was part of God's answer to Elsie's many pleas on my behalf. More than that, I can now see that Elsie's prayers were being answered in small and hidden ways long before I ended up hearing the gospel as a 15-year-old. The strange effect of that little sticker above my head, and my frequent renditions of the Lord's Prayer can only be explained, I think, as God's early work in my heart in response to Elsie's prayers. Through her prayers, God was preparing me to meet the Lord of that prayer I had recited so many times, the one who embodied those strangely appealing words, love never fails. Prayer is the hidden part of our mission.
No one but the Lord knew of Elsie's prayers and of the stirrings in my heart. I certainly told no one. But prayer is also the most basic part of our mission. Observing this reminds us that ultimately the mission is not ours but God's. If the fundamental gospel-promoting activity is hidden from us, it's clear that involvement in God's mission requires faith more than activism, dependence more than programs, and humility more than boldness. As we look around our workplace, home, friends, school, university or suburb, what do we believe to be the solution to the problem of so many people not yet appreciating Christ? The most basic part of the answer must be prayer. Compassionate petitions to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, to give success to such workers, and to grant salvation to our friends, family, and the world. Not all of us will feel confident speaking to others about salvation, but all of us can be confident speaking about others to the Saviour himself. Doing so is a fundamental expression of both dependence upon God and commitment to his mission. It is a hidden but glorious promotion of the gospel. Hope 103.2. Thanks for listening.